We flew to and from Cincinnati this past week to be with some of my family, side of the family, uh, on Thanksgiving. And at one point on the way to Cincinnati, on that flight to Cincinnati, I am holding our 16-month-old Logan in my lap near the rear of the plane. And, and I take a few moments to look up at, at, at the rows in front of me and all the people's heads. And it struck me that maybe there were a handful of heads kind of generally looking straight forward, but, but, but for the most part, basically every head on the plane is kind of looking down. Right, I mean, whether it's a train or a bus or an airplane, many of us pass that time with, with our heads down, right? Looking at a phone, maybe it's a tablet, maybe it's a book, maybe it's a magazine. Most on this particular plane had, had earbuds or, or earphones, so maybe it's music or it's, it's the show that they're watching. Maybe it's a book, maybe it's a podcast. And, and of course, there were a few folks that didn't look like they had necessarily anything in, in front of them, but still their head is like this and this just trying to get a little sleep past the time, right? And honestly, I wanted to be one of the head-looking-down people. As many of you know who have flown with children, that's not necessarily always an easy or natural endeavor, and I would have cherished the opportunity to be looking down at, at, at a show or listening to music or, or sleeping, but on this particular flight, there was no such luxury, and so Instead, I'm looking at all the backs of the heads, and this thought crosses my mind. You know, all of us are on journeys from here to there. Many journeys, certain seasons of life, or a recovery, a project, a particular challenge. Extended journeys, uh, maybe a season of school, or a relationship, or a vocation. And then, then there's the journey of life itself, isn't there? We are all on here to there journeys. As I thought about that, and I thought about this passage on which I would be preaching, this question crossed my mind. How are we holding our heads on these, our journeys? If someone looked at our lives from the back, what would be their observation about our posture on these many journeys, on this journey? And here's what I mean. In the heart of our passage, Jesus looks at the disciples and declares, stand up and raise your heads. For Jesus, there is something of fundamental importance that we dare not miss on this journey, but our heads and, and our hearts must be raised to see it, to know it, to receive it. And before we name that, that something, let's also for a moment be honest about the other side about this. There are ample reasons on any number of these journeys for our heads and our hearts to avoid such an attentive posture. I, just listen to the beginning of our passage as Jesus is pulling from Isaiah chapter 33 to describe in apocalyptic language uh, the reality that we are to know between Jesus' first coming on earth and his second coming. This is what it will be like. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and on earth distress among the nations. Also translated anguish. 
who are confused or perplexed by the roaring of the sea, the waves. It is a picture of cosmic turmoil, of creation itself aching. And then Jesus says also this, people will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. Just the thought of what may yet come. The fear, the foreboding, just the thought will cause the kind of anxiety that, 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 that cuts your breath short and you, you faint. At one level, Jesus' language feels uh, very foreign and, and strange and difficult. And then on another level, it feels eerily familiar. When we think about what it feels like for chaos and distress and perplexity to be so real in so many facets of our lives these days. A global pandemic with yet another variant. Raging wildfires raising sea levels. Refugees endlessly without home. Illnesses and injustices which just keep doing their worst. Economic tumult, political tumult. And honestly, who among us can, can really continue to stare straight at all of the weighty, trying issues of our time, let alone some of those that, that for whatever reason hit particularly close to, to home? Jesus himself seems to recognize that, that given all the things we face in this world, there is a very real temptation just to spend our days with our head in the sand. Look down. Be on guard, he says a bit later in the passage, so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. Dissipation. Uh, Self-indulgent activities that are entirely a distraction, a, a way of escaping. Uh, drunkenness. It, it is no accident, right, that alcohol sales have been through the roof since March of 2020. As anxiety rises, so too we are prone to find a way to numb the edge. Worries of life. All the little things that keep us busy. Even the good things, the to-do list, the shopping list, the fix-it list. The... But even our busyness, right, can be a form of escape, of, of helping us not have to deal with or pay attention that which is painful or sorrowful or just feels like it's too much. And we're hardly alone, right, in this, this, this desire to, to escape, to numb, to just put our head in the sand when it's all so much. The very next chapter in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is telling his disciples to stay awake and pray on, on this night of Jesus' arrest. And Jesus goes and prays by himself for a while. He comes back to check on the disciples. And what does he find? Yeah, they're asleep. Actually, it reads, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Notice it didn't say that, you know, the disciples fell asleep because it was late. It was really dark. It was a long day. They, they can't keep their heads up because they're exhausted from sorrow. It's just all too much. Yeah, we're, we're in good company. 
of course, I think all that raises the question, so what? What if, given all that we've seen, given all that we've done or not done, given all that's happened to us, given all that's happening around us, and given how heavy and hard and distressing some of that is, so what? So what if we put our head in the sand sometimes? So what if we just want to do our own thing? So what if we numb it, escape it, turn away from it, act like it's not there? Of course, as as Brene Brown has observed, if you numb the pain, you numb also the joy. For indeed, the other thing that's happening right in the midst of this distressed sun and moon and stars, raging uh, seas and fainting people, the other thing that's happening, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. It's language hearkening back to the book of Daniel where where a a Messiah-like figure is promised in the chaos. In this case, it's, it's referencing Jesus himself coming in the midst of the tumult, the anxiety, the pain. It, it's another way of naming what is, in fact, one of God's most fundamental promises we find again and again in Scripture. I am with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death itself. I will fear no evil for you are with me. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now. And forevermore. In the midst of it all, precisely in the midst of it all, there, Jesus. Which is why Jesus' very next words are, Now, when all these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads. For your redemption is drawing near. That word redemption means the act of granting freedom or release. Stand up and and raise your heads because the freedom you long for, for yourself, for for this world, that freedom draws near in Jesus. Or or put another way, do not turn from or, or, or numb or escape the tumult, but rather risk attending to it. Not that the tumult might further weigh you down and and break you, but actually that you might know right in the midst of it a freedom. I am a God who shows up with life in precisely the spaces that are most difficult to train our eyes upon. Have we seen Jesus in the pain, in the confusion, in the tumult, these recent days. A few years ago, a pastor colleague of mine uh, had the opportunity to go to the country of Jordan with a group from his church. Uh, they were visiting this, this massive influx of refugees that were pouring into Jordan from, from Syria. And he shared a little bit about this experience uh, over Facebook at one point. He writes, I've seen scars from beatings and failed executions. 
I've sat on the floors with people who cannot count how many killings they've seen. One man said it used to be three times a week, then every day, then it became every hour, and that's when he knew it was time to leave. Part of our team met a family that lived on grass for a week. Those are not even the worst things we have heard. I, I just don't want to write about those. What you start to get is a picture that, honestly, it's too much for the heart to hold very long, for our heads to look straight at very long. It's honestly eventually a lot easier just to fall asleep or, or numb it or not look at it. And yet the pastor goes on to write this as well. Yet, in the midst of all this horrible pain, I've seen the glory of God shown through people that love God and thus love all of God's children. I have been on a crowded roof with Christians from countries all over the world who have moved here to volunteer full-time with the relief effort. I've been in churches that have been transformed into free medical clinics and community centers run by the members. One Jordanian Christian woman has personally visited 900 Syrian families and visits 500 of them once a month. She brings blankets and food and toys and medicine. She arranges surgeries. She knows all of their names and ailments and needs and stories and medications. And then this observation in summary. I worried before I came that seeing all of this would crush my heart and crush my faith in God. I, I was worried that if I kept my head up and attentive to the darkness, it would drown me. Not true. That just happens from a distance. My heart and my faith both are stronger. How strange a thought. Of all the distressing things we know in this life, of all the ones that, that seem to weigh most closely to us today, what if instead of running from them, numbing them, shopping them away, drinking them away, scrolling them away, escaping them, acting like they're there, not their head in the sand, what if instead we risked raising our heads and peering closer What might we see? Who? Who might we see? Is it possible we might not be buried by the weight of it all, but, but somehow even freed unto, unto a, a stronger heart and faith? Your redemption draws near. And where then, we may wonder, where might we, we first try to look if we do attempt to raise our heads and look upon the distress, the darkness, the waves? Where, where precisely does Jesus show up in the midst of all that? And I think Jesus gives us at least one hint of that in this brief parable he tells in the middle of our section today. Look at the fig trees and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves that the summer's already near. It's the same with the kingdom of God. Jesus points out one of the most ordinary things for anyone in the Middle East. A fig tree. The trees. And just as they reliably are going to sprout new leaves each spring and inevitably signal the summer, so too you can look at the most ordinary things in the midst of all the distress and pain and unknown. And where you see shoots of new life, 
you can be sure the fullness of life is quite near. Which is to say, we, we need not look for thunderbolts and, and, and angels miraculously dancing uh, around us so much as we train our eyes on the fig tree or a feeding trough or the mundane. In my case, I sat on this airplane staring at the back of people's heads and, and looking at the, the, the back of their, their blue seats as, as, as the turbulence was, was picking up on, on the airplane. And then I also eventually noticed what was perhaps the most ordinary and obvious thing of all, the thing that was right in front of me, right in my lap, my 16-month-old turning around and around in my lap and just waving to everybody, constantly. The guy next to me, Michelle and Leo across the way, the people in front who had no idea, the people in back. And with each little wave, each cute little half smile, making clear that he sees every moment before him as an opportunity to, to connect, opportunity for discovery, an opportunity for, for, for possibility. It was just a 16-month-old being a 16-month-old on an airplane. But also head raised, I was given a picture by Jesus of what our call is to be at this time. Amid the inevitable and ongoing turbulence, a joyful, hopeful attentiveness. Stand up and raise your heads for... Your redemption draws near. And still we struggle to where to, where to look, where to train our eyes upon the ordinary. I, I want to end with this poem um, by Steve Garnis Holmes. It's a poem inspired by today's scripture from Luke 21. You have to know how to look and where among the distress of the nations, the fear and the foreboding, to see the little fig leaves, the subtle bursts of possibility, God's faint but certain emergencies, the little gracelets that abound and clue you in on what is coming upon the world. Look for the child who endures, the woman who persists, the beauty that subverts, the love that sneaks in. Watch for the free, outlandish life that is not yet done arriving. That's just the way it is, is not the way it is. Look till you see. Dance till the music can't help but start. Don't miss a single bird song. You may have to silence yourself, shed the earbuds, turn off the TV, and the one in your head. The mercy that does not pass away shows itself to those who are watching. In the gray streets, among the rows and the columns, the mystery keeps happening and happening and happening. Amen.